Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and we are back at the, our study with Jeff Verdorn on our identity in Christ, who we were, what God did, and who we are. If you missed any of that, you're going to want to go check out the podcast to get yourself up to speed, because today is part two, and I'm looking forward to continuing our discussion. I would say last week, Jeff was on the radio more than I was, and uh, so here he is back live and in person. Jeff, Welcome. Hi, Bill. Good afternoon. I, I just heard that you played all the Bible Bible series. Yeah, last we did week. Bible Bible all last week. So you were oh, on cool. radio more than I was last week. And I was the host Wonderful. of the show. Very cool. And here Very you are cool. live. That was a, such a fun series. That was a blast. But we can't get enough of Jeff Fordorn. So we're excited to go back to our study on identity. And I think uh, we pick up around mercy if we jump in uh, who we were, what God did, and who we are. I love that. Isn't that cool? So, so yeah, good. so we've been looking in this study, we've been looking at this long list of how the Bible describes who we were before we were saved, who we were outside of Christ, um, what God did to move us from one place to another. And then the on the on the on the right side is who we now are in Christ. So there's this long list of many, many ways that God describes what we were in our lost state and who we are now in our saved state. Really briefly, I just wanted to mention a couple of them from last time in case, you know, people didn't listen. But it, it's things like that, that we were, for example, in John chapter 3, um, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born of water and of spirit. So God has made us born again. We're born once of the water and we need to be born again in Christ. Uh, uh, Paul says that we are created in Christ Jesus and we are now a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. God says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and now we're made alive in Christ. And now so our our life is now hidden in in Christ. Um, The second death had power over us before we were saved. After we are saved, we now will live forever. God has given us eternal life. We were in darkness. Now we are in light. We were blind. Now we see. Um, One of my favorites is that God has adopted us as sons. So before we are saved, God actually says your father is the devil. But now in Christ, God is our heavenly father. And we can call him Abba, father, daddy, father. And um, we've been now made heirs and brought near to him. Before you know God, before you know Christ, Scripture says that you are far away. You are separated. You are alienated from God, Colossians 1.20 says. But now God has brought us near. We have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Son. So these are the types of descriptions in Scripture that we covered last time in part one. Now in part two, we're going to complete it, starting with mercy. And Jeff, if I may, I would love to read this passage from 1 Peter 2.10. May I? Yeah, read it. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we have received mercy. Before you are saved, you've not received the mercy of God. But after you are saved, you have received the mercy of God. Now, when we talk about mercy, I have to mention this because there are there are some in Christianity who say that because of God's sovereignty, he chooses that he will show mercy to some and then he chooses not to show mercy to others. And they use passages like Romans 9 that says this, and I wanted to read Romans 9 quick. It says, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, <clears throat> not by works, but by him who calls, he says this, the older will serve the younger, and just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And then verse 14 in Romans 9 says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy. And so some read passages like that that says, well, God is going to show mercy to some for salvation and not others for salvation. And I, I, that's, I don't believe that's what this passage is talking about. This is talking about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was chosen out of all the people of the world. God chose the descendants of Jacob to be his chosen people over the descendants of Esau. It's not that Esau never had an opportunity to believe in God and be saved. For all we know, he was, right? But it's the descendants of Jacob that God showed mercy and they became his chosen people. Today, who does God show mercy to? Well, three verses before the verse you just read in verse 7, 1 Peter 2, 7, it says, now to you who believe. So this passage is to those who believe. God shows mercy to whomever believes. You see that? You see how different that is? Who does God show mercy to? Anyone or whosoever believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will be saved. He will receive God's mercy. Cool. That's such good news. It is such happy news. It is. This whole study is good news. I mean, every single one of these you could just focus on and dwell on and understand and go, I've been shown mercy by God, right? All right, next one. Well, I mean, we could marinate the whole hour in that one, Jeff, just God's mercy. Don't we all want mercy? We've been given mercy. Fantastic. All right, let's go to— You know, it is such a good— we are to show mercy too, by the way. Oh, I know. And when someone shows us mercy in in everyday life, isn't that just a wonderful thing? And it says that Scripture says God has showed us mercy. Oh, that's wonderful. All right, next one. Brought into his kingdom. Ah, oh, this is so cool. So before we know Christ, Scripture says, Ephesians 2.12, we are excluded from his kingdom. We are excluded from citizenship. And, and and after we are saved, God says we are now citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20. So we are we are brought into his kingdom, Colossians 1.13 says. So I like to say that now we are part of the heavenly kingdom. We are now 
Heavenonians. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Some people like the term heavenites. I don't, I don't like heavenites. I like heavenonians. We are heavenonians. We are now, our citizenship is in heaven. If you are a Christian today, many Christians view their primary citizenship as being Americans. I mean, I'm an American. Now I'm, I'm as patriotic as patriotic, you know, as patriots come. I'm very patriotic. I love this country and what it stands for and what, it's, what it has historically stood for. But you know where my primary citizenship is? It's in heaven. And actually, Ephesians 2 says it's this way. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Verse 19, consequently... You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's households. We are now, as Christians, actually aliens and strangers in this world because we belong to a heavenly kingdom, of which, by the way, Paul says we are ambassadors from that kingdom. So as ambassadors, our citizenship is in a, in a different land, but God has kept us into this world or sent us into this world to be his ambassadors, to speak on his behalf into this world. All right, there's another happy moment in the show. So far, two happy moments, at least in the first 13 (laughs) minutes. I mean, marinate in that one. It is. It's so cool. I do this study on being an ambassador, and I walk through, actually, we'll have to do this sometime, 12 different... um, descriptions or characteristics of an ambassador, of just a a regular earthly ambassador. But then I look at how God describes us, and we look at the same 12 criteria from a biblical perspective, and there's actually a verse that kind of corresponds to, if you will, the what we understand as an ambassador, that's exactly how God describes us. So we're in a foreign nation. We're sent by our king or our kingdom or our president. We don't become citizens of the foreign land, but we represent God or the president in that foreign land and so on and so forth. So 12 different criteria. It's really cool. So. That is cool. I think it's time for a break. When we come back, I want to ask about Colossians 1.13 and that we are rescued. Jeff Verdorn cool. is my guest, and we're going to continue our discussion Our on our identity in Christ. We'll be right back. The ways they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you never win. You never win. But the voice of truth Welcome back. So glad to have my friend, Bible teacher and mentor, Jeff Verdorn, as my guest. I had a note from a listener, Jeff, that for the longest time she thought, or he or she thought your name was Jeffrey Dorn. So I need to learn. You know, I actually like that. Jeffrey Dorn. Jeffrey Dorn. But I've never called you Jeffrey once. No, it is Jeff Verdorn. Yes. And I need to work. good Dutch name. It is. I need to work on my enunciation. That would be a good thing for me as a radio host to do. 
All right. <laughs> let's move on, Jeff Verdorn. All right. Let's move on to our next one, which is rescued. And I love this idea of being rescued. So Colossians 1.13 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So we are talking about the kingdom a little bit. This links into that last one. But here we introduce the concept of being rescued. Have you ever been rescued? Have you ever been in danger and been rescued by someone? No. Yeah, I don't. I never have either. Well, unless, you, unless you're, you're in a car accident and you need to have someone come get you because you, your car is totaled. That happened to me once. Did it? Were, were, you were okay? Or oh, yeah, were you, I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. Yeah. So somebody came and rescued you. Well, that's what God says that he's done. Prior to being saved, we are in this darkness. We are, we are in danger. We're actually slaves, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Um, and he rescues us. And this whole concept of being rescued, I mean, I used to, one of my favorite shows growing up was, was uh, Emergency, right? Do you remember that with the, yeah. with the Chip and Gage or whatever? I can't remember their <laughs> names. And they used yeah. to go around and save people all the time. One of my favorite shows of all time, they just rescued people. And it's such a beautiful, uh, beautiful concept. But what has God rescued us from? And so I thought I'd mention quickly just a few things that kind of Scripture points to. First, it says that we are condemned. So John 3.18 says, whoever does not believe stands condemned already before God. We are condemned to the lake of fire. Revelation 20 points out this final judgment of the lost. It's called the great white throne judgment. And it says of this judgment that if anyone's name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, they are thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. Well, God in our salvation rescues us from that. So that, that's kind of, if what are we rescued from? We're rescued from condemnation, from death, from being thrown into the lake of fire. Condemnation. When I so think, we've been rescued. Yeah, when I think, Jeff, of the tragedy at, at sea with the Titanic, that night, if you wanted to live, you had to be rescued. There was, Absolutely. There was no option. You couldn't say, you know what, I will swim to shore. I've got this myself. In order to live, you had to be rescued. Yeah. You know, I just watched a documentary series. It was a National Geographic on Disney Plus series called... Um, the rescue, and it was called the rescue, and I just watched it this week, and it was about those thirteen young boys who were trapped in the cave when the monsoons came and the water came up, and they were trapped in this cave in Thailand for three weeks, and it took cave diving experts to go in the mile and a half underwater through a cave to finally find these boys and then bring them out one at a time. And it was an amazing, I highly recommend the movie. It was just mm. amazing. Wow. All right, let's move on to the next one. Are you ready to move on? Yes. Okay, that is being set free. That's our identity. We were once a slave to sin. Continue. So this is, if we've been rescued from being held, held captive, a slave, being enslaved. We are prisoners of sin. We are held captive by the devil. And so this is kind of very closely related to being rescued. He has set us free. 
Though we used to be slaves to sins, we have now become slaves to righteousness. Now, Paul uses that phrase in in Romans 6, being slaves to righteousness, uh, in contrast to being slaves to sin. We're now righteous. We're now holy. We are the Lord's freedmen. Verse Corinthians 7.22 says, we've been freed from the power of sin, Romans 6 says. Um, so we have been, we were slaves to sins. Now we are slaves to righteousness. We have been set free from sin. Sin, we're going to see this in a minute because the next one is forgiveness. And it's huge. It's a big area. We once were under the power of sin, but sin no longer has power of us over it over us anymore. We've been set free from that. That is probably the biggest thing that we've been set free from is the power of sin in our life, which leads us to the next one, which is this idea of being forgiven. And through faith, before before we are saved, God sees us as a sinner. He sees us as sinful. But after we're saved, God forgives us, Ephesians 1, 7, and we have been forgiven. Now, when you are forgiven, God forgives you of all of your sin, past sins, present sins, and future sins. They are all forgiven by God. I think one of the hurdles that some experience in not coming to faith in God is that they believe they have they have done something or have sinned to such an extent that God could never forgive me. And this this is a lie, by the way, a lie of Satan. Paul, by the way, says that he was saved. He was the worst of sinners. Paul killed Christians. He persecuted Christians. I mean, that's about as bad as it, as it gets, the worst of sinners. So if Paul, the worst of sinners, can be saved, anybody listening today Whatever your sin is in the past, God will forgive it through faith in Jesus Christ. Jeff, how often do we think of Paul killing a Christian? Huh. Well, that's what he was in Acts before his I, Damascus moment, I, I, right? And I, I when know. he believed. I know. It's a very, very hard thought to, to have. Now, and that, there's your changed life. Oh, yeah. I mean, Paul's life is such an example of who he was— what God has done and who he is now. And we pick up most of Paul's story in who he is now in Christ. And of course, he writes much of the, of the New Testament. Another point on, on forgiveness, on being forgiven, is that, and, and I've been asked this question in classes over the years about, well, what if I commit the unpardonable sin? Well, first, Let's define what I think the unpardonable sin is. It's mentioned in, 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 uh, in Matthew 12, and it's called blasphemy against the Spirit or blasphemy of the Spirit. I think this so-called, quote, unpardonable sin is, in context in Matthew, is, is the rejection of the Spirit's call to believe. You see what's happening. You see the power of God, but you do not attribute that power to God, you attribute it to something else, and you've rejected God's testimony that Jesus is who he says he is by the power of the Spirit. So I think the unpardonable sin is literally just unbelief. You're rejecting God's call, the call of the Spirit to believe in the one that he has sent. And I think that's the unpardonable sin. So if you believe, it, you, you have, you have, you've, 
you've breached the barrier of this unpardonable sin. If you don't believe, you've committed the unpardonable sin. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, I do. It's just simply a lack of belief. And now once you've believed, can a believer commit the unpardonable sin or or the blasphemy against the Spirit? And it's like, no, you've now been filled with the Spirit. You're sealed with the Spirit. You've accepted uh, the call of God by His Spirit who goes out into the world and convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. You've listened to that call. You heeded it. You've received it. You've believed in it, and now you're saved. So we needed to clear up that whole kind of concept of blasphemy against the Spirit or the unpardonable sin. Thank you for that. All right, let's move There's, on. Oh, one more. Okay. One more verse. Paul in Romans 4 says this. He says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the uh, blessedness of the man who credits, God credits righteousness apart from work. He says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. This is how God now sees the believer in Christ. He no longer counts your sins against you. Psalm 103 says it this way, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. And Hebrews 8 says, for I will forgive them and of their sins, and I will remember their sins no more. Man, wow. isn't that good news? Well, forgives and forgets. Only God can do that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically this concept because it's clearly an omniscient God doesn't quote-unquote forget. The concept is he no longer is going to count it against us. Right. So even though we, as believers in Christ, continue to sin even after we've saved— I know everybody does. The only person who's ever walked the perfect walk of faith is Christ himself, right? He's the only one who ever walked this earth as a man and never sinned against God. The rest of us, hmm. even after we are born again and have the Spirit of God living and dwelling in us, who has given us the power over sin to live a, a holy and pleasing life to God, we still fall short every day. In fact, that's what sin is, actually. Sin in the Greek is is literally this idea of missing the mark, and we we miss the mark every day on God's call for our lives, and 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 yet, as a believer, when we miss that mark, God no longer holds that against us. It's no longer counted against us. Mm -hmm. It's as far as the east is from the west, He remembers it no more. Jeff, listener Jim from Simsbury, Connecticut, said that emergency is still on mornings on Cozy TV. It's one of my wife's favorites. <laughs> he said it's kind of, a watch... kind of a gentle show compared to what they serve up now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I yeah. know. I don't, I don't know any of the shows today. I don't watch any of them. They're just <laughs> junk. Yeah. So I'm sorry. A little my editorial comment. That's okay. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Lots more with Jeff Verdorn, my guest. We're talking about our identity in Christ be right back.
the afternoon show because I get to learn so much. I get to come in and be a student in my own studio during the afternoon show, and it's fantastic. And Rosie's just nodding her head. Yes, she feels the same way. It's always great to come in and learn and grow in, in our faith and understanding of God's Word. And I'm doing that today with my friend and Bible teacher and Bible mentor to me, Jeff Dorn talking about our identity in Christ, and we're going through a chart, which I believe he has available. Rosie, do we have that on the podcast? Is that... We do. It's um, attached, as is the first part of the whole identity um, teaching was on December 21st. So if somebody wants to listen to it back to back, yeah, great. December 21st, and then yes, it's on. And there's a link to that podcast, which is a chart. Uh, it's got a chart of what Jeff and I are talking about today, if you want to review it yourself. All right, Jeff, let's jump back in. I think we're going to talk about being cleansed and washed. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So Hebrews is uh, Hebrews 10.22 is this idea. I had it up here. It says this. It says, let us draw near to God with, sincere, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, later in that chapter, it says this, how much more then will the blood of Christ through the Spirit uh, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Well, this that's this idea of being cleansed, of being washed. Before we are saved, we are soiled. We have a, a guilty conscience. You know, a lot of psychology is spent trying to make people not feel guilty. Well, some of that guilt is actually, I believe, true guilt from God. You are guilty of your sin. And so all the psychological, you know, uh, uh, sessions in the world will never take away that guilt. Only God can take away that guilt for real, from for sin. Because then Hebrews says we've, we now, in Christ, have been cleansed and we have a clean conscious. And in fact, the, the pictures of going from soiled to being clothed in white, spotless, without blemish, we see that picture of the church actually in the book of Revelation. Uh, so we've been washed clean. And in fact, this 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 consciousness that we have, that we've removed our guilt, and that we can come, he, Paul says, in, or I'm sorry, in Hebrews, it says that we can come before his throne of grace with confidence that's how we can now come to God, not in fear because we've been brought near to him, but with a clear conscience, with a clean conscience, we can come before his throne boldly. Isn't that amazing? We can come before the creator of the universe because he's washed us clean. And we can do that with boldness. Mm. I love Man. that part. You know, it would have been such a foreign concept to the to a Jew as well. Here is this entire system of the law, right, where you had to follow all these laws and do all these sacrificial systems, and they wouldn't even say the name of God, right? And 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 God's presence was behind this curtain in the temple, behind this veil. They couldn't come before God's presence boldly. But now the curtain has been torn into that barrier between God and man has been bridged by the person of Jesus Christ. He's now our mediator, and we in Christ can come before God's throne. Oh, cool. So good. So good. Made holy. 
we have been made holy. This is the concept of being sanctified. So in Scripture, there are many ways that the unsaved person is described. They are, they are called wicked. They are called sinners, blemished, unclean, guilty, uh, adulterous, accused, far from God. It's many, many ways. But when you've been made holy, we are now holy in his sight, without blemish. We are blameless, free from accusation, and, and we are called saints. Now, I want to dwell on this word saint for a second, because there are some who say that, you know, only a, a organization or a panel or a board or whatever can declare somebody a saint. And the reality is, is that God is the only one who can declare a person a saint. In fact, every single believer in Christ Jesus, biblically, is a saint. When you believe in Jesus, you move from being a sinner to becoming a saint, an Every single believer in Christ is a saint. So Paul starts many of his letters with, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in wherever. We are a saint. Saint, the word saint, literally means, in the Greek, it's the Greek is hagios, and it literally means holy. Well, that's what we have now been made. We have been made holy in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says we've been made holy. Holy. Now, I know that some will say in Christianity, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And it's actually not theologically accurate to say that you are a sinner saved by grace. If you are in Christ Jesus, the proper theological way to say that is, I was a sinner saved by grace, or I am a saint saved by grace. Do you see how big this is? How big of an identity, of an understanding of our identity this is, to no longer think of yourself as a sinner in God's eyes, but as a saint in God's eyes. Well, I think there's a lot of heads spinning right now, Jeff, just so you know. Well, that's because this phrase, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, it, it's a common I was teaching a class one time, and we, I do a whole class on salvation where we were studying this whole issue, and I was describing this whole concept of not saying, not understanding yourself as a sinner saved by grace, but understanding yourself as a saint that's been saved by grace. And, and a guy in the front row held up his notebook, and on the front of his notebook was this big kind of picture of, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And it's like, all right, all right, I, I get it, I get it. I just put I was on that. Cross out is and say was. I was a sinner saved by grace. Because that is no longer how, that's no longer your identity. Now, let me ask you this question. Do saints still miss the mark? Do yes. saints still sin? Yes. Well, of course we do, right? We all do. We talked about that earlier. But remember, as a saint, God no longer counts our sins against us. There's this really, really difficult passage in 1 John 3. And 
many will struggle with this passage. I want to read it. It's verse 9 and 10. So 1 John 3, 9 and 10. It says this, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his neighbor. Now, the typical interpretation of this passage is that a person who continually or repeatedly sins is an unbeliever. Well, I sinned yesterday. I'm pretty sure I've sinned today, and I'm pretty confident I'm probably going to sin tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. In fact, God says anything outside of perfect faith is sin. So unless I'm walking by perfect faith 24-7, I continue to sin. Well, 1 John 3 says no one born of God will continue to sin. How in the world can you reconcile that? If you're a believer, you read that verse and you say, well, wait a minute, I've got sin in my life. Therefore... I must not be born of God. Well, we're born of God through faith, period. And once you're born of God, you move from being a sinner in God's eyes to being a saint in God's eyes. So when, when John says no one born of God will continue to sin, it, it's, that's your identity. You're no longer a sinner, but you're a saint. You see how big this is? Mm -hmm. How big a difference this is of an understanding to come before God and say, oh, God, I'm just a lowly sinner. I get the humility of that, of pre-salvation. But we just talked about this. Once you are saved, you can come boldly. Your your conscience has been cleaned. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You, you are now holy and blameless in his sight. And that is what saint means. If there's one takeaway from this hour that I hope every Christian understands, that in Christ Jesus, you are a saint before God. Jeff, I've been reading a, a book by John Owen, and let me read the passage out of King James. This is Romans eight thirteen. It says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And one of the comments that John Owen made in this book called The Mortification of Sin, he said, The choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. That's beautiful. I know. That's that's perfect. That is now that we've been set free for that, that is, if you go back to Romans 6, that's exactly, that's where I was going to kind of end. Count yourself then dead to sin. And that's what he's saying. Sin has been crucified. You have been crucified to sin. It no longer has a power over to you. And now that you are a saint, God is calling you to live out your sainthood. And I know we fall short. I know we fall short. But that's why just earlier in, in Romans 6, and let me read it. Let me read the whole passage. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it 
any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's the crucified life. That's what we that's where we started in part 1, the Galatians 2:20 life. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what living out your saint identity is all about. And do you remember I quoted uh Major Ian Thomas mm-hmm. uh, last time and and he said he said this, quote, Christian living is not a method or technique. It is an entirely different revolutionary principle. It is the principle of an exchanged life, not I, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. And I think the more we understand our new identity in Christ, like you just read, like Paul just, like Paul just said in Galatians, I think we it helps us live that crucified Christ that he describes. Mm, I agree. We'll take one more break. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're continuing our study of our identity in Christ. This has been a two-part study. If you missed it, you're going to want to go to MyFaithRadio.com, check out the podcast, Afternoons with Bill, and you'll be able to find it. And then also we've got a link to this chart that we've been discussing. It's also there in the podcast. You can click it and have it for yourself. We'll be right back. Jeff Verdorn today. We're talking about our identity in Christ, doing an awesome job. This is part two. If you missed any of this, you're going to want to hear both episodes. Jeff, let's go to, are we still going to um, talk about being sanctified, made holy, or anything left there? What? No, I think we're good. I think the concept of, of being a saint is so yes. big, and, and I think we one. covered it. So the next two are are being made righteous and being justified. Okay. And and so I want to kind of maybe do both of these together because they're very similar. Being righteous before God, being right before God, if you will, and being justified before uh, God. Justification is kind of this idea of being brought in alignment with. All right. So the so in your Bibles, for example, your 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 the text on your page is left justified. Well, it's probably left justified and right justified. You've been brought in alignment with, and that's exactly what this idea of, of that God's righteousness has been credited to us. We've been made righteous is that we have now, our righteousness has now been brought into alignment with Christ's righteousness because we are in Christ. I remember a pastor way back when, this was 25, 30 years ago now, and he asked this question of the church I was sitting in, and he said, how many of you think you're as righteous as I am? And mm. a number of hands, good fair amount of hands went up. And the next question was, how many of you think you're as righteous as Billy Graham? And a few less hands went up. 
And then finally, the question was, how many of you believe that you are as righteous as Jesus Christ? And in this big church, not one hand went up because, of course, you know, no one's going to raise their hand like, oh, I think I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ. But theologically, that is exactly what God says that you are when you believe in Christ. You are made righteous. God makes you righteous. This is the theologians will call this imputed righteousness. God takes the righteousness of Christ and gives it to you. He imputes it onto you. So in a church, to, to answer that question that this pastor asked, this third question, how many of you believe that you are as righteous as Jesus Christ? Theologically, every single person sitting in a pew in that church should have raised their hands because that is what righteousness is all about. And in fact, this is Paul, I shouldn't say just Paul, in the New Testament, I, I, I looked up how many times the word righteous, now I lost my notes here, uh, seven, I think it was 75 times God uses this term righteousness, and even more the word, the term justification. So Romans 5 says this, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, that was Adam's sin, by the way, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, that's Adam, again, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, who is the Christ, the many will be made righteous. The righteousness that comes from God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, Romans 3, 22. Everybody who believes in Christ has been made righteous. So now you have the righteousness of Christ. You've been justified. You've been brought into alignment, right, with the righteousness of of Christ. Cool. It's it's amazing. And when God the Father looks at a born-again believer, he sees them through the lens of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus. So we have that righteousness and it's it's just mind-blowing. It is. It's uh, you know, this is this is this is by the way one of the big, you know, when when uh, Martin Luther pinned his thesis up on that, you know, door that's 95 thesis that item number one is that righteousness is by faith alone. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't, there, there's nothing you can do. It has to be received through faith to those who believe. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Anything else to clean up there or ready to move on? I think we're ready. Next one. Last one. Given the Holy Spirit. Oh. We are given the Holy Spirit. For those who don't know God, they do not have the Spirit of God. They are spiritually dead. Um, They are controlled by the sinful nature, by their flesh, if you will. But for those who believe, God says he gives them the Holy Spirit, and now the Spirit lives in you. You are now controlled by the Spirit. You are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, the God's spirit, God himself, by the way, now dwells within you. I mean, 
this whole idea that the creator of everything, the creator of the universe and, and, and the galaxies and the stars and planets and solar system, everything, he now dwells within us by faith in Christ. Wow. It's just it's just an amazing concept. Yeah, Jeff, let me read Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, Please. are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Mm. That's kind of plain, plain language there. <laughs> you know, all of the well, I shouldn't say all of these are plain. But many, many of them are very simple, very, very simple concept. You're, you're dead. You've been made alive. Mm-hmm. You're blind. Now I see. You were, you were not belonging to Christ. Remember, we've already read some. Of you. you were alienated, separated from God. You were, you did not belong to Him. But now that you have your spirit, you belong to Christ, and uh, you, you, you are no longer. And by the way. This is we we're talking about if you are a believer in Christ, do you still sin? Right? And and the answer was, well, yes. Well, this tells us, this gives us a clue, a little glimpse into this whole idea that if you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. And then I think of I think it's the in Galatians where it says, if you uh, uh keep if you uh, don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh, you need to live by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's how we live this holy life, not by our own power, not by our own might or our own efforts, but by the power of the Spirit who now dwells within us. Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we should be, as Christians in this new identity in Christ, should be controlled by the Spirit instead of being controlled by the flesh. Mm. And I just think, and and. One last thing about the spirit, because there are some who will say, well, you know, you can be, you can l- lose your salvation. You can stop believing and walk. I mean, all these things that God has just done, there's nowhere in scripture that says all of these things that we've just listed out in these last two sessions are undone anywhere. I mean, you'd have to be unborn again, unmade righteous, ungiven eternal life, you know, he'd have to he'd have to resurrect your old crucified self and crucify the new resurrected self. <laughs> I mean, this these are foreign concepts in Scripture, but this last one especially, he says that he will give you the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you for how long? Forever. Forever. John fourteen sixteen, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Counselor, and He will be with you forever. Wasn't it nice the way I paused to let you dunk that ball? <laughs> it's, it, it felt really good to dunk that. <laughs> I know it did. That's why I paused and just let you take that victory lap there. That was good. Oh, man. So yeah. when we, what, oh, go ahead, Jeff. It just says, I was going to say that God makes it very clear that the Spirit will never be taken from us. He will be with us for all of eternity. Yeah, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Oh, yeah. Ephesians 1. That is such a powerful passage. Yeah, it is. So the Spirit lives in you. You are controlled by the Spirit, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And if you live by the Spirit, this whole sin thing, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So look, understanding this this concept, I mean, there's lots of them here, right? And each 
each one of these may have just struck a chord in somebody's heart and say, oh, that's how I need to understand myself. Whatever one of them of this long list there is. But as we read in Romans 6, I think understanding it and beginning to understand our true identity in Christ is so important. I agree. Jeff, no. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, this is so good. We're just kind of running out of time, but I just All love right. this study. And again, I just want to let listeners know this chart that we've been discussing, that Jeff has gone from who we uh, once were, to what God did, to who we are now, is all laid out, and it should be available in a link in the podcast. So head over to MyFaithRadio.com. You can find it there. Jeff, thank you again for being on the show. I look forward to our next time together. Thanks, Bill. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Jeff Verdorn, again, has been my guest, and that is all the show we have for today. But I do encourage you to go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out Part 1, because it's available, I think, in December around the 21st is when we aired that first episode. But tomorrow is going to be another wonderful show. David Wheaton's going to join me. We're going to continue our epic uh, study on Exodus. And then Anna Rask is going to be joining us for our Old Testament study with Dr. Peter Kapsner. And we're going to look at Prophet Jonah. That's all coming up next. Have a great night, everyone. As you lay your head on the pillow, just know that God has a great plan for your life and he loves you. And I do too. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.